Join us for Captain's Campaign for Cures. If you plan to attend Vive or Hims this year, get a photo with Captain, our lovable service dog, and we will donate to Alex's Lemonade Stand Foundation to find cures for childhood cancer. For every person in the photo, we will donate $1 to Alex's Lemonade Stand. All you have to do is find Captain, grab your friends, take a picture, share it on social media, and put the hashtag Captain Lemonade or This Week Health, and we will make that donation for every person who's in that picture. Our thanks to SureTest and CTG for helping us to end childhood cancer. Today on Town Hall. If we're thinking even 20 years out and we think about more care happening in the home, like what ends up being the purpose of a facility, a big hospital facility in the next you know, 20 to 50 years. And I think it ends up being really the tertiary care, like super high acuity, flexible space that we need. So we're thinking about things like, should every room be able to be converted into an ICU room at the drop of a dime, for instance, yep. right? My name is Bill Russell. I'm a former CIO for a 16 hospital system and creator of This Week Health, where we are dedicated to transforming healthcare one connection at a time. Our town hall show is designed to bring insights from practitioners and leaders on the front lines of healthcare. Today's episode is sponsored by Armis, First Health Advisory, Meditech, Optimum Health IT, and UPerform. All right, let's jump right into today's episode. Hello. I'm Sue Shade, Principal at Starbridge Advisors and one of the hosts for the Town Hall Show at This Week Health. Today, my guest is Dustin Hufford, Senior Vice President and Chief Information Officer at Cooper University Healthcare. Dustin has been in this role since 2019. I'm really looking forward to talking with Dustin today and hearing what he and his team at Cooper are currently focusing on. Welcome, Dustin. Hey, thanks, Sue. Happy to be here with you today. Let's start by having you briefly introduce yourself and tell us about Cooper University Healthcare. Sure. So as you mentioned, CIO at Cooper, uh, I've been in provider healthcare for 18 years or so in various roles. I started out my career in consulting, we traveled the country and saw the various states of provider healthcare from like a single doc practice, critical access hospitals, all the way up to larger IDNs. I already did some merger and acquisition work with them. I stepped out of consulting to take a role as a community hospital CIO around that time, around the time that meaningful use was coming online. So all the rage was implementing all the functions for meaningful use, did a lot of that. And then uh, my, the health system I was working for uh, decided to join Prometica, which is like a 12 hospital system out in Northwest Ohio. Uh, and there we decided to implement Epic across the board. We went from a very best of breed model to Epic Enterprise. After my tenure there, I decided I want to come back home uh, closer to the family, which was uh, sort of outside of the Philadelphia area. So brought me to Cooper. So I was app AVP of applications for a few years. And then, like you mentioned, CIO since 2019. Cooper is an academic health system. We're headquartered in Camden, New Jersey, to about $2.3 in revenue. So we serve as South Jersey's only level one trauma center and actually see the most trauma cases in the region. We've traditionally been a one hospital system, a very large care center with a large ambulatory footprint, but decided last year actually to bring on a second hospital into the family and we're in the process of basically finalizing the regulatory approvals there. So just about done. But over the last few years, Cooper's seen tremendous growth, well over 10% annually. And then we've been bucking the trend when it comes to margin by maintaining a very healthy, positive margin consistently over the last five years. So that's us in a nutshell. Excellent. I can relate to a few of those things. One, wanting to move back by family. So that was probably a good move for you. And you ended on the fact that Cooper has a strong margin. So that may 
play into this next question in terms of what your current priorities are for 2024 and you know what things might look like in terms of your IT budget, given many organizations have significant financial constraints right now. Yeah. yeah. So priorities in 2024, we, we've got a few buckets. The first bucket is the continued growth, as I mentioned. So we have the second phase of our, our licensed services and our massive new ambulatory campus that we opened actually in November for the first phase. First phase was just, well, not just, but around 100 ambulatory exam rooms brought online in the second phase of the ambulatory surgical center, radiology lab, physical therapy, cancer infusion, and a few others. But we actually took an old Sears building, repurposed it, and resurfaced the outside and, and just gutted the inside and created something really cool. Lots of pictures out there. I encourage folks to look at it. It's, it's pretty innovative. A lot of technology went into it. We're looking forward to the second phase of that. But we're also in the thick of planning for a redesigned main campus where our large hospital is. We're actually building three new towers and planning. We're really planning out the first one now that's an enabler for the other two towers so we can move services out of an, an older infrastructure building that needs to be taken down. But same kind of deal, we're planning with technology right out of the gate to make sure that we infuse latest and greatest and also things that really make sense in this day and age. But also trying to plan for, it's a 50-year building at minimum. So we're trying to think through how adaptable and flexible can we be with the new campus at this time. So that's even going into the rooms and saying like, you know, we're used to putting new cables in every time we need to do something. Is there a different way that we can think about the room and the technology within it? And so we have some cool external partners that are helping us kind of think through some of those challenges. Also, priority is just addressing some of the technical debt that still exists from the pandemic. Everyone knows we, we pretty much had to pause all of our normal IT life, just like everybody else did, and focus on responding. And now we got a bunch of systems that still need to be upgraded and or replaced or whatever. And we're just working through that still. So that was um, systems that you weren't able to address during the pandemic that have now fallen behind on maintenance? In some cases, yeah, or it's just the optimization of certain systems that weren't centered to the whole pandemic mm -hmm. response, mm -hmm. just keep some love and intention, just like some of the other systems we had. So yeah, uh, yeah. and then getting ready for hyperdrive with Epic, which is kind of moving to the web-based version. A lot of the systems need to be upgraded for that. And then finally, the, the big project that I'm most excited about, at least in the short term, because I don't have the fastest gains, is kind of redesigning and overhauling our contact center, moving really to a true omni-channel setup with customer relationship management at the core and really starting to think about how much we can automate in terms of things that our patients need from us and making sure we route people to the right place the first time so they don't get bounced around in our phone system. And then really taking some of the latest, greatest technologies like ChatGTP and having it assist in answering questions and delivering services. So we're looking forward to that. That's great. I'd like to dig in a little bit more on the last one you talked about in terms of the contact center and some of the stuff that you're doing there. So just tell me more and like, where are you at right now with building that out, the role that IT is playing in that? Is that something that you're partnering with another senior VP on, or are you part of driving that? Definitely part of driving it. The other two partners from a senior vice president level that are really into this are our chief experience officer. She actually oversees our contact center. And then our SVP oversees ambulatory across the board because we're really thinking about our ambulatory services and again, how we get people to the right place at the right time. And uh -huh. really starting to think about the routing of services down to the physician level. Like, are we getting them to the right person without a lot of headache, right? So a lot of attention being paid to how we're structured operationally to really deliver on that. So we, we created as a first step, what we call ambulatory experience centers, which are 
groupings by institute of folks who can handle everything for that institute. So it's not going into the practice. The call is not going into the practice anymore. It's being handled by a team of people that can handle refills, lab results, triaging, all that kind of fun stuff for a specific group of specialties, cross-trained to be able to handle that as an extension of, of our main contact center, which is doing basically the scheduling and all the traditional stuff, just answering basic questions. And then we're laying on some of the tech to make sure that when they ask the question, so it's more of a hey, tell me why you're calling today kind of question coming from an automated system and then trying to get that response nailed down to get it to the right person at the right time. And if the system can, through automation, answer the question, it will. We're even thinking about similar technologies to what's been implemented in like Walgreens and other services where it knows who you are and it can tell you what services are available to you, like refilling your medication, which ones are eligible for refill, and maybe even transacting that and finishing the process. So It'll be a journey, like our, our first step this year is to, to go live with the basics, answering questions and some of the routing, and then just keep layering on services over time to speed up and automate and hopefully add less frustration for everybody in the process. In the ever-evolving world of health IT, staying updated isn't just an option, it's essential. Welcome to This Week Health, your daily dose of news, podcasts, and expert commentary designed specifically for healthcare professionals like yourself. Discover the future of health IT news with This Week Health. Our new news aggregation process brings you the most relevant handpicked stories from the world of health IT, curated by experts, summarized for clarity, and delivered directly to you. No more sifting through irrelevant news, just pure focused content to keep you informed and ahead. Don't be left behind. Start your day with insight at the intersection of technology and healthcare. This Week Health, where information inspires innovation. Great. So follow-up question on that. Are there any other health systems that you see as a model for their contact centers that you're looking at and trying to learn from? <laughs> yeah, there's a couple. Cleveland Clinic, Intermountain, and St. Luke's in Pennsylvania are the three that we've really talked to that have taken some big steps when it comes to customer relationship management and automation. They're a little further ahead of us in this, but that's good because we're learning from some of the same people that implemented some of the technologies there and and also trying to add some extra features to it that hopefully will have a big impact. So that's great. I, I just tell you as a as a consumer, whether it's in my healthcare system and going through contact center, the portal, et cetera, et cetera, or consumer in the retail world, we all have stories of what works really well, right? what we're happy with, what was easy. And then we all have the stories of like what was awful. And just get me to a person. Let me talk to a person. Don't rub well, me this way and that way again. I just need someone to help me. Right, right. And to your point, I mean, the companies that don't tune or maintain those systems very well, you end up in the loops and the issues where it's like, I'm trapped, like I can't get out of here. And it's actually not helping me do what I need to do. Yeah. So I think we're pretty sensitive that like, we're not going to trap people in the loop. If someone says agent, you're going right away. There's no stop. There's yeah, no yeah. extra question that's coming after it's right away. Yeah. And then yeah. I'm and starting to think about the fact that the technology's evolved even the last couple of years because of open AI and others coming to the scene is that they're using large language models more effect. Like you had to build out intents with these systems in the past and the intents had to be in specific orders and you had to rearrange the orders to make sure that if someone asked a complex question that had multiple pieces to it, we had to build out each of those pieces individually to be able to answer that question. Enter ChatGDP and you can ask a pretty complex question through the technology and have it as long as it has access to the data sources and the processes around it, it should be able to transact it without asking more questions or 
is getting generally confused and frustrating you to the point where you're like agent. <laughs> so, yeah, agent. Uh, <laughs> Let me talk to your manager, right? So yeah. just one other follow-up question on that. And I love this conversation because this is probably an area that a lot of organizations are looking to improve on and address. Do you at Cooper have a patient and family advisory council of any form? And if so, are you leveraging it as you design the contact center? We do in a sense that, yes, we're trying to tease out what are the actual issues that you have. And I think that leads to the question of we as a system don't necessarily know where each individual person is calling to try to get services, right? It's like almost impossible from an analytics standpoint to see that when you have 500 different phone numbers and everything's routed in different places. Some have high levels of tracking, some don't. But you hear the, from the patients and families that, hey, I got bounced around a lot. I got transferred. Mm -hmm. I called this number. They said it wasn't the right number, but that's what mm -hmm. the paper that I got handed said. So we ended up getting mm -hmm. directed to another number and I couldn't get the answer still. And so I gave up, right? And, and that's kind of the feedback that, you know, we hear from different people, not just at our health system, but across the board. And I think that's a good challenge to take on. And I think everybody was going after chatbots and everything during COVID, which is great as long as you can integrate that into the process. But this is really more about Again, getting people to the right place at the right time to the right person who can solve the problem. The loop that we have is the, the transfer loop, right? <laughs> right. And the confusion yeah. of what someone's asking for and maybe sending them to the wrong place. So, yeah, I, I, you know, I'm channeling a story a month ago before we had a long trip and I was helping my husband nail down some prescription refill that was going to be very problematic if he didn't have it with him when mm -hmm. we were out of the country. And let's just say I'm a little more assertive and navigating and getting to the right person. And as I got on the phone, I offered to help. And he's like, yeah, go ahead, help me. <laughs> Make order. some calls. <laughs> and, and I got on the phone with one person and then told him who I needed to talk to. And they looked that person up and they transferred me to a number. And the person who answered the phone answered procedure room too. And I'm like, e I don't mean to be in a procedure room. I'm trying to talk to someone about a prescription that they have to approve so it can get refilled. And bottom line, those of us in healthcare who know how to navigate and can be a little bit more assertive can get results. But all the people who are just trying to interact with our health systems and don't have that depend on really good accessible, easy to use, responsive systems. So all the best to you in making this work. And maybe yeah, we so should talk again next year and right, right. You know, so see what the results are on this. Yeah. So imagine a world, yeah, where you called and said, tell me why you're calling today. I'm trying to re refill my prescription. Okay. I can help you with that. It looks like you have two prescriptions that are eligible for a refill. Would you like to refill them? Yes. Okay. You know, so that, that's kind of what we're thinking. And obviously it's going to take time. It's complex and there's, you know, we have a lot of different service lines. So like, it's not like everything works all at once. It's a yep. lot of process and optimization yep. work with individual specialties, but. And subspecialties in an academic medical center and who's taking care of what. Yeah. It, if only it were so simple. I wanted to go back to one other thing and just comment when you were talking about growth and the new buildings, that's awesome. I think I want to go out and look at some pictures of your repurposed Sears building. Sears buildings are iconic in many cities. So that's great. You're using it in a different way. And the challenge of trying to build new towers and think of 50 years. I know when I was CIO at Brigham and we built a new tower and we had a visioning session and we talked 30 years, I'm like 30 years, <laughs> do we really know what things are going to look like? in 30 years. So it is a huge challenge in terms of planning for technology and infrastructure for these new buildings. But I assume that you have a good plan at this point for those new towers. Well, it's developing, right? And and we have to start thinking about 
if we're thinking even 20 years out and we think about more care happening in the home as we right. have heard so much about, like what ends up being the purpose of a facility, a big hospital facility in the next you know, 20 to 50 years. And I think it ends up being really the tertiary care, like super high acuity, flexible space that we need. So we're thinking about things like, should every room be able to be converted into an ICU room at the drop of a dime, for instance, yep. right? And when you think about flexibility, not necessarily designing them for one specific specialty in mind, but being adaptable that you could bring in those services. And if it needs to change or flip, then it's not a many millions of dollars project. It's, a, it's an operational change, right? So those are the kind of things that we're trying to think about. And how can we think about our system as connected and everything being an input or an output so that you're thinking about real-time traffic control across all these different entities, including in the home and being able to anticipate when someone needs to come in or if they really shouldn't save space or whatever, that we understand that and can respond to it more effectively in real time, right? So hopefully that's how the industry starts to evolve over time, just not waste individual people's time and, and make people feel better about <laughs> the answers and the care that they're getting. So they feel confident staying at home, for instance, if that's where they belong, right? So Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hospital at home. Do you have a hospital at home program? We are approved by CMS with the waiver and we are beginning to work more diligently on actually bringing some beds online. And hopefully within the next year, we're seeing patients in the home. Right now for us, it's really a strategy around, since we are busting at the seams in our current campus setup, we need more space and lower acuity space would be great. So this is mm -hmm. a good short-term solution, but hopefully it evolves long-term into a more comprehensive model. Great. Good. So one of the things I wanted to ask you about was what difference it makes to have a leader like Dr. Mazzarelli for your IT team in terms of your IT budget and priorities. And for listeners, especially those who were at Chime in the last fall forum, Dr. Mazzarelli is co-president and co-CEO at Cooper University Healthcare. And he was the first, I think, the first keynote speaker at the Timefall Forum. And I think many of us were blown away by his talk and he was very inspiring. And I know I caught you afterwards and said, you're very fortunate to be working for him. And I'm sure many of our colleagues thought the same thing. So what's it like having a leader like him when it comes to managing IT? Well, Obviously, it's got a lot of pluses. He's very supportive of technology being interjected into our system to solve some of the problems that he talked about, right? Mm -hmm. So his talk, for those of you that didn't hear it, was really around some of the books that he's written around what they call Compassionomics. And the second one was called Wonder Drug. It's really the study using actual data to show that compassion in healthcare or in your personal life leads to better outcomes kind of all around. So it helps drive some of our technology decisions because we are big into like, for instance, ambient clinical documentation in the field. We were early adopter and we've been really helping different players kind of advance that with the idea that if you have more time to spend with both your patients and your family at home, because you're not writing documentation when you go home in your pajamas, that you should be more satisfied with the work that you do as long as you're being intentional about being compassionate, right? That's just an example, but that means there's a lot of support for technologies that aid that process, right? And investing in the optimization of our electronic health record and adding the pieces that make sense to again lessen that administrative burden. He's very supportive, but as is our other co-CEO, Kevin O'Dowd, who oversees the administrative areas, both of them have been phenomenal when it comes to supporting technology, not as a cost center, but as a solution to workforce productivity challenges. We know I think everybody's having that problem right now in, in all different facets of the healthcare system. So we see technology as being one of the answers in addition to just 
enhancing our management capabilities, people, but technology as a way to free up time and allow people to be scaled more, but not feel necessarily the burnout or the overhead that comes with that, right? So so that may be a good segue into one of the last questions I want to ask you in the interest of time here, and that's about the workforce. So I'm sure you and it seems like all organizations are facing workforce challenges. We've got this new age of hybrid and remote work. What kind of innovative approaches are you taking to help develop the workforce of the future, in particular in IT? Yeah. So in IT, I think the there's a couple of things we're doing. One, a very robust onboarding process, since we're mostly remote in our department. Onboarding in the sense that we have a very detailed checklist that requires new employees to talk to a very large number of people within the department to get to know what they do and how they do it and what's the proper procedure. And also get a face-to-face meeting with somebody just to learn who's in your department and what they do, right? Then we took another step and implemented Agile framework within our shop. So cross-functional teams as opposed to our traditional application or department-specific teams that we had before, that has been helpful because we're thinking more about like cross-training people so that they understand end-to-end processes within an area. So we have a couple ambulatory teams, for instance, right? And part of the cross-training is from the first contact that a patient has in the health system to the point where we're doing long-term care management with them. Like, what does that look like end-to-end? throughout our systems so that we're more flexible about how we can respond to different changes. Now, this is a work in progress because it's new to us within the last year, so we have a lot more optimization to do, but definitely something I think that's going to pay dividends over time. It certainly made us faster already. Now we're looking at quality of the implementations and how to scale more effectively and just continue to enhance the training programs around how Agile works, the benefits, all that kind of fun stuff. So. So far, so good, but we'll keep reporting back on that. Um, it's got to be adapted, right? Agile Framework was mm-hmm. basically a software development framework. We're using it to implement product and develop software. But to do the former, it requires a little bit of tweaking in the model to make sure that it, you can basically take large, what used to be waterfall projects that took nine months and break them into chunks that are agile and distribute through a pretty complex, large team that has all different types of capabilities and skill sets underneath it. So, Right. Good. Is there anything else that you want to highlight before we close today? Just with all the cool technology that's been involving, I think one thing that's a personal long-term passion for me is really getting to the point where patients have control over their own data and the healthcare decision-making process. And I think there's been a lot of advancements lately that can be pulled together to do that kind of stuff. So in the 21st Century Cures Act, this is one of the goals that the folks who wrote it had, which is create an internet of healthcare data where a user can own their data to some degree. And that's why we have like the, the standards for requesting the information requests, right? When it comes to fire connectivity and other connectivity outside is that we want people to, to take power of that information. And I, I can't wait to see it till that comes. Like for us to be successful, with the limited number of resources that we have in this industry, we need a partnership with our patients and consumers, right? And giving them as much information that's written in ways that they can understand it and make decisions with their families and friends, the better for all of us in terms of long-term success in, in a very expensive industry. So, Yeah, great. That's a great point to close on in terms of your passion and, and the importance of that for our patients. Thank you so much for talking with me today and all the best to you in the new year, Dustin. Thanks, Sue. I really enjoyed it. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this week's Town Hall. A big thanks to our hosts and content creators. We really couldn't do it without them. We hope that you're going to share this podcast with a peer or a friend. 
It's a great chance to discuss and even establish a mentoring relationship along the way. One way you can support the show is to subscribe and leave us a rating. That would be really appreciated. And a big thanks to our partners, Armis, First Health Advisory, Meditech, Optimum Health IT, and YouPerform. Check them out at thisweekhealth.com slash partners. Thanks for listening. That's all for now.